Welcome to the Kinkle Fritz and Friends podcast. If you want to hear the show, you can find it on Family Life Radio. If you want to find a station near you, you can go to myflr.org or stream it online. Well, hi, I'm Kinkle Fritz. I'm Misty Jordan. And I'm Sally Barton. So this is our podcast, and this is exciting. Uh, You know, we're going to talk about a topic that probably you have thought about, maybe you've dealt with, and that is, you know... You think you're a good Christian. You think you're doing the right things. Why is life turning it out the way it is? Why are things turned upside down? And so the book is called Beyond Our Control, Lauren and Michael McAfee. And uh, the subtitle, Let Go of Unmet Expectations, Overcome Anxiety, and Discover Intimacy with God. Mm -hmm. Here's the book right here. Beautiful book, by the way, guys. Love it. Mm -hmm. Thanks. And uh, <laughs> Michael is the president and founder of Inspire Experiences, an Oklahoma City Thunder fanatic. <laughs> better believe it. <laughs> and, and I'll forgive you because this isn't really your fault. See, I grew up in Seattle, Washington. I miss my Seattle oh. Supersonics. Yeah. Yeah. Touchy Wait subject. Too. We want them back. <laughs> we just want to keep our thunder. You want to keep our thunder? We want to have our team. That's it. Uh, so, and Michael is also a pastor at Council Roads Baptist Church there in Oklahoma City. And then Lauren, Re- uh, Lauren Green McAfee, she is the uh, ministry director at Hobby Lobby. That's cool. They have a ministry director. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. Hey, well, real quick, it. so that people know, explain the Hobby Lobby background with you. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, so my grandfather, David Green, founded Hobby Lobby and um, is still CEO today, 50 years later. So it's fun to get to work uh, at Hobby Lobby with my family. My dad's the president there, and I have lots of other family members uh, in and around the company as well. And the ministry investments area is the department I work in, if people are wondering what it means to be a ministry director at a corporation. Um, It just means that Hobby Lobby does philanthropy. Uh, 50% of Hobby Lobby's profits are donated to Christian ministries every year. That's cool. And so there's a department that handles the philanthropy, and I just am one of the team members on that team and it's yeah it's a lot of fun to get to I don't think area. we knew that 50% mm. 50% that's that's, that's yeah, awesome impressive. Yeah. wow that's right this Shop is n- hobby lobby yeah. this is <laughs> yes. not normally what people go to hobby lobby for i'm i'm in there all the time but i just found out that my hobby lobby has bags of biddle honey at the front, which I haven't seen in years, and I oh. loaded up. You know, nice. <laughs> she did. She gave me one too. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm so excited. That's amazing. I was like, well, this just amped up an already great shopping trip. <laughs> That's right. Land flowing with honey. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my son is now 14 years old, but when he was little, he thought that Hobby Lobby had the best candy. So. They do. He called it Hobby Wobby. We're going to go to Hobby Wobby. I love it. Yeah, it's awesome. And it's very strategically placed. Nicely done. Well, (laughs) they're smart people. They are. Very. Well, let's talk about uh, beyond our control and life getting messy. You guys have been Mm. through a lot. Um, Mm. Infertility, adoption, loss, illness. Talk about that. I do want to caveat. We have been through hard things, but overall, we... We know we've had a very blessed life. I mean, you all just heard about my family. And, and so certainly there is there is an aspect of coming from a great Christian family that and Michael does as well, that we've just had a really blessed life. But regardless of what your upbringing is or your circumstances in life, like everyone is going to face hardships. And so we 
We certainly found that in our life, we thought things would um, maybe go a certain way. We, If you just work hard and you love the Lord, then things kind of line up. And that isn't necessarily what we found as we um, kind of got into life and got married and started living our lives. And so our story, uh, you mentioned some of it kind of started when um, the hardships at least started whenever we were trying to grow our family and have children and realized... Um, First, we started with adoption. We actually started pursuing adoption before we knew we would face infertility because we, I'm a third generation adoptive parent and, oh, that's cool. and always saw, yeah, I saw adoption as a part of my family for, for generations and, and that was something I always wanted to do. So we began pursuing adoption and the adoption doors kept continuing to close. We started with an international adoption and uh, we were over five years into pursuing adoption and still nothing had happened and we were kind of back at square one. So in that time, we had also started pursuing having children biologically and that wasn't working either. And so here we were pursuing children all the ways that we knew how to and none of it was working out. Um, so we, we did then five years into pursuing international adoption, started in a China adoption program. We had to switch programs for a number of reasons. And, and after pursuing China adoption for a couple years, we finally brought home our daughter, Zion, and she was one and a half. So seven years of like longing for and praying for children, we finally bring home our daughter and we had her in our family for a month and a half before she was suddenly diagnosed with cancer. And so then we were walking our one and a half year old through a cancer diagnosis, an emergency surgery, hospitalizations, chemotherapy, all of these nightmares that you don't want to have to walk through, let alone have your baby experience. And so um, we, you know, after so many years of praying and longing for this, this dream of ours to have this child, and then faced with a life-threatening disease. That was a very disorienting experience for, for us to walk through um, and to process with our faith. And um, Zion thankfully went into remission after her chemotherapy treatments, and she's doing great now. She's five years old and just full of energy and thriving now. Um, but then we began pursuing another adoption, and so we brought home a baby boy from the hospital uh, for, through a domestic infant adoption where a birth mom chose us to parent. And we had an amazing experience having an open adoption with his birth mom and we had our son for 12 months. And in part of the time that he was with us, there was a, a part of the case that made it be a contested adoption, mm. which just meant that they needed to have a a particular court hearing to determine what to do with the case. And through some unusual circumstances, just along the way, we ended up after having our son for 12 months, having to be told that we had to hand him over to oh. someone else. Oh. And we yes. had a matter of two and a half hours to say goodbye to him and we haven't seen him since. And how long did you guys have him? We had him for a year. A year. And we then had you celebrated had to... his first birthday. We had had that, his party. And then a couple weeks after that, we said goodbye forever. And that, that was two years ago now. And we still think about our son every day. And he was our son, you know, and he was our daughter's brother. And 
we pray for him and miss him a lot. And so it was a very unique loss in that we we had a son and we we lost him, um, but it wasn't to death. And so it was, it's a very unique loss that is is a really just a painful thing to have to walk through saying saying goodbye to him and having to explain that to our daughter. I would say that's a strange grief because yeah yes. yeah he's he's not he didn't pass away but right. yet still alive right. yet you can't be with him. Oh, I yeah. cannot I can't even yeah. think about what that's like. That's just wow, how frustrating. Well, it is and and thank you for like recognizing that. And yeah. that's you know, I mean we we've experienced it on the other end too of of you know, we um we're coming up on uh, in a couple of days the the one year anniversary of um, Lauren's sister and, and brother and, and her husband um, who had a uh, uh, our nephew that was um, uh, died at birth uh, one year ago and um, and so we're we're spending time with them tonight grieving with them uh, again and just like considering um, that loss and uh, it's it's we've talked about how there's similarities but there's there's obvious differences in terms of the pain. Um, the difference of, of, of their loss is being able to like name it. We can go to the graveside. We can mourn and cry. And like, there's a, you know, kind of a, an understandable lamenting, um, for us, like having him, you know, Ezra, our son gone, there's this, this pain that exists, but it's hard to name. It's hard to like describe it because it's different and unique. But for a year, we were expecting that we would be his parents forever, that Zion was expecting that he'd be her brother forever. And so even just the little interactions day by day, we went and got uh, donuts on one Saturday recently, and uh, we we got more donuts probably than we should have. And that was evident because whenever we were leaving the donut shop, uh, the lady checking us out, it was me and, and Zion, our five-year-old, said, um, uh, well, I hope that you have uh, you know, a brother or sister that you're sharing some of these donuts with. And she paused and said, I have a brother and a sister, but our brother doesn't live with us anymore. Oh, you know, and that's oh. her like little five-year-old way, two years later of still processing what happened, still missing and still identifying with, man, this is my, you know, this, this is my brother forever in a, in a sense in her heart. And so both on that side and on the infertility side, honestly, it's kind of similar of it's hard to express the, the longing that you have for something that doesn't yet exist. It's kind of, in, 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 it's easier to name, to point at the loss isn't easier when um, you have like my brother and sister-in-law uh, uh, miscarried. And so naming that pain is easier. The pain of never having uh, a child in your womb is harder to put a, a, a name on, a face on, kind of to point to something. But it is a, a grief that couples like us uh, all over the place go through. And typically we found that there was a lot of people who talked about it on the other side of infertility where the Lord had provided a child to give hope. And we love those stories. But um, there's a lot of couples like us that are in the midst of it, still hoping and praying and knowing that the Lord opens and closes um, uh, the womb and it would give um, people children. So we're... It's beyond our control, right? It's something that we can't control. We can only do so much, but ultimately it is in God's hands. Wow. You know, it's it's interesting how grief has, or, or that type of pain, it, it does help if you can find someone else's that has been through what you've been through. I thought losing your son like that is so unique. Uh, well, you know, for myself, my wife and I have a daughter diagnosed with multiple special needs. Um, and it's a different kind of grief because I'm grieving the daughter I thought I was going to have. And it doesn't end because mm -hmm. I still have her the way she is. Now, I still love her. She's a joy. Um, but I can find other parents that have 
been there, and that is such an interesting. It's almost like an mm. abduction, but it's not. Yeah. At least you know the child's mm. probably safe, but right. Mm-hmm. You can't be with your son. That's just oh, I mm. can't fathom that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. In adoption, they talk about the adoption triad. That there's three different viewpoints for any. For the adoption, the adoption of the viewpoint of the bio parents, the adoptive parents, and the child. Yeah. And that there is mm-hmm. grief and loss from, you know, kind of all sides, regardless of what has happened to create that adoption. So it's a, it's, it's beautiful brokenness that it is, mm-hmm. it is a beautiful thing, but there is complexity because it's born out of some type of loss. And so that's what we try and, and caveat there at the beginning that we are only representing kind of our perspective sure. from one piece of the triad. Um, but hopefully it helps to validate other adoptive parents or just in general, anyone that is going through kind of a, a sense of beyond, you know, something that has been beyond their control in life. And there is a sense of greeting, even if there's, uh, you know, um, another perspective that it doesn't change the fact that, you know, we can be so quick as, as, as Christians, at least I know I can, even as a pastor to want to rush to the happy ending. God wipes away every tear and kind of give that hope. Um, but it is good for us to take time. Like, I mean, I know we felt most loved and validated when people didn't try to rush us to, well, you know, like God's got another child for you. Like you'll go back in the adoption process and like, there'll be, and just would sit with us like, like Job's friend before they open their mouth. And just sit with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Job's friends were cool for a while. And then it was for like, zip it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. should have just stayed silent. Exactly. Well, how have right. you guys, through all this, um, stayed joyful or uh, had a good perspective on it all through that, all that loss? Yeah, well, that's hard. It's not easy. And I think it's a process. So, I mean, certainly in, in like the immediate aftermath of the loss, it was just it was so intense. I mean, mm-hmm. I had never had to walk through grief like that and and it was intense. That's the best word I know how to use. Mm-hmm. Um, but I read a f- um, book by Diane, Dr. Diane Langberg. She's a Christian um, psychologist. And she summarized what was really helpful for me was just kind of hearing someone explain what grief is like to process. And she describes it with three T's, three words that start with T, which is very helpful for remembering. Um, but it takes talking, tears, and time um, to move kind of out of grief and towards healing. And not that you move out of grief, but you just, you process it and then you experience grief differently in different seasons. And so for us, I think getting back to joy was needing to process through our grief in a healthy way. And so that did mean that we took the time to talk with others and share how we were experiencing it, how we were feeling, remembering Ezra and talking about him. And, and still like on his birthday last month, it was, was talking about him, wondering what he's like now, um, at the age that he was turning and what it would be like if he was still in our lives. And, um, you know, taking the time to talk about it as a way of, validating how we are feeling and to express that to a safe place, right? And having community that is is good at listening, sitting and listening and and reflecting on that with us. And then also tears. I mean, the tears have to happen because 
if we keep that inside of us, the emotion doesn't go away. And so as we express our emotions and actually take the time to feel our emotions, that's a healthy way of um, recognizing what, what we are feeling. And God created us as emotional people. He created us with emotions. So emotions are not bad, but they are not, they're not to control us, but they are to inform us. And so our sadness and our tears inform us of the love that we did have for our son and to recognize that love and, and how important he was for us is, is helpful for us to move towards healing. And then of course, time, I mean, time, they say, you know, time heals all wounds. And I, I would say yes and no, like it heals things for sure, but it doesn't make them go away. So if by healing, we mean like it disappears, no, but healing, even if, if you get a cut and it heals, it turns into a scar. There's still the mark that is always there that reminds you of what you had. And so as we heal from our grief, like our memory of Ezra will always be there. He will always be a part of my life. And whenever people ask me how many kids I have in my mind, I think three, cause I have cared for three children, even though two are, I only have two in my home currently. And so while Ezra will always be a part of my life, time has certainly um, allowed us, I think, to live life in light of the loss in a way that is easier to bear yeah. um, than more easily now than it was in the initial days. But um, his, the reality of him in our lives will always be a part of us. Yeah, and I think that it's a great question of like, how do you have joy? You know, the in Second Corinthians, Paul talks about how we are a people that are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And um, you know, uh, if the, one of the I think the best parts of this book, and I can say that because we did not write it, is in the foreword. And uh, Dr. John Townsend um, says this. I think it kind of gets at this idea: is that research states that one of the hallmarks of emotional health is a person's ability to simultaneously hold differing even contradictory experiences. People who cannot tolerate negative circumstances, for example, feel that all of the joy in their life is drained by the negative. However, healthy people can hold the tension and live well with it. And so out of that, like, I feel like that's what we learned is like, you know, what you kind of alluded to, like at the beginning of, of this journey, I think I often misinterpret still today misinterpret Romans 8:28 God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to the pur his purpose I can often misinterpret that that when bad things come our way or when difficult circumstances come away when you have to say goodbye to a son you've loved you know or you have to something has happened you had a setback you didn't get the job promotion you wanted the relationship didn't work out it is because God is setting you up for something better in this life He's setting you up for a better job. He's setting you up for a better relationship. You know, there's someone that's a better fit for you. That may be true, but it's not always true. Mm -hmm. I mean, back to the example of you can't tell me saying goodbye to a son whom we love, like God will give you two sons later in life or like, you know, more kids or better <laughs> kids. It's like, no, like there's no, there's no earthly that. reality you can replace a child and I'll be even more happy and actually happy that I don't have the child whom I loved. You know, it's like that. But what does happen is that God does work all things together for good. And that good is the joy that he replaces with more of himself. And that's what we tried to drive at in that center chapter on intimacy. It's just that any time that God tears something away from us that we love, 
so deeply. It's not because he is vindictive or if he's, he's allowing suffering to come in our life. It's not because he doesn't care or is incapable of stopping it. It is because God uses those seasons of suffering and trials. James 1 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, for the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, lacking in nothing. That God's purpose for us in that pain and those trials and that grief is to give us a more well-rounded faith and ultimately more of himself. And so it's so easy for me, at least, to be laser-focused on the immediate, on the temporal, and how God is going to create a life that I envision for myself that's going to lead to my temporary happiness for myself today. But what God is doing is so much deeper in my life of, of preparing me to hold intention, both of these things like Dr. Townsend talks about, of grief and joy, of, of sorrow and happiness as we move towards the new Jerusalem. You know, that's amazing. And um, having um, been there when my sister was ushered into the arms of Jesus, I just applaud what you're doing for Zion because it, it, there will always be an empty space right beside me for her. Several years have passed, but that doesn't dim that there's something missing here on earth for me. And so as a family on her homegoing day, on her birthday, we have a group text just celebrating who she is in our lives, even still. And, um, and it will be that way as long as we're still here on earth. Um, so I, I just applaud what you're doing for her and allowing her to recognize that that space is there. And I told, I told Hank and Misty your story before we came here and I couldn't make it through because I just saw oh. The pain is is so real of love and separation. So God bless you. And this book is so, so important. And I can only imagine what had to pour out of you to put this together because the title Beyond Our Control just really sums it up. So um, I love that. But we haven't been introduced to the little one that you told us is sleeping down the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> Tell yes. us about her. Yeah. So, uh, 13 months after we lost Ezra, we, when we lost Ezra, we continued to then be open to a, a domestic or yeah, a domestic adoption. And so we, we were just waiting to see if the Lord had another child to be in our home. And so we, yeah, 13 months after we lost Ezra, got the call that there was a, girl that had been born and we were chosen to be parents. And so a couple hours later we were meeting her and that has become <laughs> our daughter Zara. And so she Aww. just turned one. So she's 12 months now and she is, yeah, she's a lot of fun, very smiley and she loves people and she really loves her big sister. She loves <laughs> Zion. I mean, Zion can just look at her and she's like giggling. <laughs> So our two daughters, Zion and Zara, um, are in our home now. And Ezra would have been right between them or is right between them in age. And even though he's no longer in our home. Mm -hmm. So we've, uh, like Michael mentioned, I mean, having, having Zara join our family has been amazing and, and has been obviously one of the, just the greatest joys of our life to become parents again. But it, 
it of course never replaces Ezra. I mean, we'll always miss Ezra. And to the question earlier about joy and grief and, and Michael, we're kind of reading John Townsend's quote there about those happening simultaneously. I think one of the times we, I felt the grief really strongly again from our loss of Ezra was actually when we had Zara because we had all these reminders of, you know, we had brought Ezra home from the hospital, the same hospital when we were from where we brought Zara home from. And we were using his car seat for Zara and his bottles. We were pulling out of the attic and or like his old clothes that were at least trying to find the gender neutral things of Ezra's to use with Zara because we had, you know, less than 24 hours to prepare for having a baby. Um, but it brought up all the reminders of the baby that we had had with Ezra that we no longer had. And so what was one of the most joyful seasons of adding Zara was also one of the most grievous seasons of remembering Ezra and that he was our first infant that came into our home because Zion was a year and a half old when she um, came home with us. And I think that's a lot of life. I think a lot of life is some of our most joyful moments are also those that can be some of the most painful and reminding of loss and, and bringing up grief again. Um, I think holidays are certainly that, right? Seasons where holidays, where it should be some of the most joyful times where you're reflecting on, um, like at Christmas, reflecting on a beautiful thing of Christ's birth and you're gathering with family. Um, but those moments can also be moments where you're remembering family members that are maybe missing at the table or broken relationships that are make the holidays hard. And so joy and grief, I think often co-mingle. And sometimes when it's most intensely felt is when we can also be feeling the other. And I think that is incredible that God created us with capacity to have those happen simultaneously for emotions that seem to conflict happen simultaneously. And so God created us in his image. And so we human beings have inherent value and dignity, but are also, we image God in the way that we have emotions and the way that we process those in a way that honors him and how he created us. So I think we do a disservice to ourselves when we think that we can't have both joy and grief. And we usually tend to want to diminish one and, and focus on the other. And so you know, you maybe have, maybe some people have a tendency to, if you're feeling it, joy and grief, to kind of push back the grief and ignore that, and that is ignoring a part of of who God created you as to someone that has the capacity to grieve because we've had the capacity to love. Um, grief is often born out of a love that has been lost, and so we honor that love whenever we recognize and and validate the grief. So taking the time to validate that grief is so important. But then people can also be the other side where maybe if you're in that season of grief and you all are feeling joy as well, to ignore the joy and shut down your joy because you just want to wallow in your grief. And that also, again, I think doesn't honor the full capacity of who God created us to be to be able to hold those at the same time. And to have the gratitude for the beautiful moments that can shine through even in a dark season. And, and so I, I, you know, I had to learn the hard way. Um, and, and part of the book is kind of us processing through that to recognize just 
the reality that you can have both and, and that that is a reflection of God and, and how big he is, um, that he created us to have the capacity to, for, for both, you know, opposing emotions and that we honor him as we reflect him in, in walking through that and accepting that reality. You have, uh, Lauren been very open about your struggles with anxiety, which first of mm-hmm. all, my goodness, how, how could somebody not, I think, you know, going through, uh, any, any one of these, but all these together, I would think would produce some anxiety. And I'm I'm always, first of all, thank you for talking about it. I'm always so grateful when somebody is willing to discuss it. Um, I think there's still a, a weird stigma around mental health issues, especially in the Christian community. Although if anything good, Maybe good's not the right word. Productive came out of 2020. I think more people understand anxiety. I think so many people left 2020, like I've never had this before, but you know, it's something that so many of us deal with. How, how have you walked that road? Like dealing with anxiety? Yeah. So that's so good. So our friend, Dr. John Townsend, um, said one time that the emotion most closely associated with control or the lack of control is anxiety. And Mm. that really rang true for me whenever I heard him say that because I could see the seasons in my life that felt most out of control, like having a daughter face cancer or losing a child that was like completely outside of our control were certainly the most anxious seasons. And so I think as people realize that it might be helpful as you're feeling anxious to try and kind of think through, okay, what is it that's happening in my life that's causing the anxiety? And oftentimes it might be a circumstance that's beyond your control. And so for me, I, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't say I necessarily am good at recognizing that I'm feeling anxious. I, usually, unfortunately, have had to get to the point where I'm having a panic attack before I'm realizing that I'm dealing with anxiety. And so for me, that has meant uh, the physical manifestation of a a panic attack, which for me has meant like tightness in my chest, difficulty breathing, um, which then causes me to feel even more anxious. So I, there was one day, uh, about nine months after Zion was in remission from her cancer, that I was, I was at the office and was gearing up for a long Zoom call because it was in 2020. So, of course, we were Zooming uh, all of our oh, meetings yeah. back then. And <laughs> I, I realized I was starting to have that tightness in my chest and it was just getting worse and worse. And like four hours into my Zoom call, I was like, this is actually still here and this is getting worse. And we had done kind of some of the things that usually help. Um, and nothing was working. So finished my work call and then went to the emergency room. Cause it was, um, there's also a pain in my chest now, which is always a scary thing. So checked out, everything was fine. And so the doctor said, like, I think you're just having a panic attack. So I, I, I couldn't even realize why I didn't know why I was like, why, why would this be happening? And so I was talking to a friend who helped me realize A lot of that came from the fact that after we had Zion's cancer go into remission, it was good news. And so we just went about life as normal and we just celebrated the fact that, you know, we were grateful, but I never took the time 
to sit with the fear and the anxiety and the devastation that I was walking in during that season of her cancer diagnosis, wandering every day for, for days on end if my daughter was going to survive or not. Um, and that is an incredibly intense thing to walk through um, day after day after day of wondering if your child is gonna survive. And so once we got into remission, it was like, oh, good, like, great, all right. Back to, let's get back into normal routines. Let's get back to life. We were ready to just get back to life that I never took the time to sit with, wow, I, I, that was a really difficult thing. That was, this is how I was feeling in that season. This is how I can process that now. Cause in the moment it was just like, no, like just we're in survival, like do what you gotta do, like get her to our appointments, give her the best care, meet with the doctors, you know, take care of her port, you know, all of these things. So nine months after remission, all of that was coming back and my body had kept the score. My body had not forgotten all of that anxiety that it had felt in that season. It was reminding me like, you've got to process that. You've got to deal with that. Because whenever we don't process our emotions, they don't just go away. Like they stay, they sit there and they'll come back whenever, you know, whether that's nine months or 10 years later, like they're there. So that began a journey for me of recognizing how to practice the form of lament, which is expressing grief. And thankfully the Bible has a lot of wisdom there on what that's like to lament. I mean, you have the book of lamentations, which is God's people lamenting um, the loss of their home. You have the book of Job, of course, that we have already talked about where there is Job lamenting his losses while also still honoring God. Um, and many Psalms, you read through the Psalms and so many Psalms are, are a writer lamenting the pain that they're feeling. So we have a model for that in the scripture and it's expressing the grief that we feel. And I was not good at that. And it took that trip to the emergency room for me to recognize, okay, I've got to make space for lament and I've got to make space for expressing this grief. Um, and that can be a part of the healing process that lessens the anxiety. Um, it's saying, Hey, I didn't have control of this and that was hard. And remembering that God is in control, remembering who has control and that God is sovereign and God is good. His character is good and resting in that truth as well can help us um, to deal with our anxiety. And certainly 2020, like you mentioned, was everyone was dealing with some anxiety and the loss of control that we thought we had. And the world was, was completely turned upside down for everyone all at once. And, and certainly control was a big theme that came out of that, that things were not, you know, necessarily controllable in the way that maybe we all thought things should be and <laughs> right. <so> practicing <laughs> learning how to process that it's a good point it's like what do we really have control over maybe michael talk about that i mean experience is a great teacher but uh is that is it a myth that you've got control oh absolutely yeah i mean it it's an it's a illusion it's a mirage right and so i mean it, it depends on what you um we, we talk about in the book, like there's different uh, things, expectations. We have one of the chapters and we talk about how there are things that we should expect that like, you know, you do have what we might consider control over in terms of your, how you respond. Like we're, we have with our five-year-old right now, we're saying, you know, hey, you have control of how you act. And so, 
You might be hungry, you might be tired, but you are in control. Like you get to make that choice of how you respond when, you know, you're hungry and you're asking for something to eat or whatever. And so, um, but as far as like actual life circumstances that we have, that we face as adults, um, that's the, the beauty I think of what, what the Lord continues to teach us. This isn't like uh, us writing this book is like, well, we learned this lesson. We figured it out. (laughs) This book was written for ourselves. Like we were writing this book as we were going along the journey. Actually, ironically, we started it, uh, after Zion went into remission, we're writers. And so we wanted to process what had just happened to us. And so we started writing it down for ourselves and thinking maybe the Lord would use this for others. Uh, the first week in March, 2020 thinking, yeah, we've, we've now learned what it looks like for life to be beyond our control. And so two weeks before a global pandemic, why don't we start writing down, uh, how we've understand that, you know, and clearly we didn't. And, and that helped us through that journey. It obviously helped us through Ezra and everything, but um, but the, the, the irony of learning that lesson over and over again is we keep, we kept assuming that we had control of things that ultimately were in God's control anyway. And so the irony of surrender, of surrendering control is you're surrendering the control you never had in the first place. Mm. You're letting go of something that you never really had hold of, that it was always God's. And when you surrender and, and place it sort of, you know, back in his hands and, and quit sort of fighting him for control of it, um, essentially doing what Adam and Eve tried to do in the garden rather than accepting the life that God had given to them saying, no, I want to become like God, knowing good and evil. You know, like I want to, I desire this thing that God said is is not in my best interest. That's saying, okay, Lord, I trust you that what you're going to put in my life is in my best eternal interest, even if that life includes suffering because it will. Um, and that was the thing that I'm constantly having to rewire is not just that I don't have control, but that whenever things don't go my way, that's not life going awry. That's life going as it typically does. Like I so often expect life to go, uh, the way that I want it to, to, you know, have a, have a lot of, of hard work and optimism and good attitude and things are going to go my way. No, no, no. Like life is broken because of the fall and sin. Life is constantly working against us and against, you know, the way that God would, you know, had in the garden. And that's part of the brokenness of this world. And so shifting the expectations, not to be like sadistic and just like expect everything to go horrible, but to not be surprised of, oh, well, of course this would be suffering that comes my way. So now how do I process this, grieve this, deal with this? And how do I ultimately surrender the control I don't have to say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing right here. Like when we, this vivid memory of, um, when we were in the hospital with Zion and like Lauren mentioned, like she's 18 months old, she's 20 months old, I guess at that point. I mean, she's, she doesn't, she's only been around English speakers for, you know, a few weeks at this point, basically. Like there's no way to communicate with her of what's happening. And she doesn't know if she trusts us yet. We are new in her life and we don't have other kids. We don't know what it looks like to be parents. And we're trying to walk this road in the hospital after these, you know, nearly seven years of waiting for Zion, waiting for a child, you know, walking her to the operating table where they're going to cut open, uh, and, and remove a large mass off of her liver and, um, and thinking like, I have no clue, Lord, why you would let us be in this place. I mean, honestly, like my, my, my heart was, um, was, was at that point, like, Lord, we've done our time. Like we've sort of done our bit of suffering. We've gone through infertility. We've gone through waiting for adoption. We've gone, why is this happening again to us where all of, you know, seemingly all of our friends, it felt like 
had children biologically, no problem. Their kids are healthy. They're happy to be like, why are we the ones that are facing this cancer diagnosis? And um, that, that old kind of, of you know, line of, uh, I don't know what, what tomorrow holds. I don't know where this is going, but I know who holds tomorrow. I know that, Lord, you're sovereign over this. I know that you, this is not catching you by surprise. And so I don't have control. I have nothing to do. As I pray for my daughter, my hand on her belly, as I rock her to sleep at night, like that tumor is just, you know, inches, centimeters below my hand as I'm praying over her. And I'm completely powerless to do anything about it. But God, I know you can. I know these doctors can. So I just trust you with whatever the outcome is. Not because I feel great about it, but because it's all I can do. It's the powerlessness that I feel of surrendering control to the one who has ultimate control and has proven himself to be good even when life is not. Wow. There's just so much to take in because we've talked about the temporal and the eternal and the delicate balance between the two, right? So um, dive a little deeper, if you would, into the question of what if God wants us to experience suffering so that we can know true joy. Yeah, you you touched on it there a bit in, in the language you're using with eternal versus temporal. And I think for me, whenever I'm have been in kind of those pain points of my life, it's really easy to just focus on like that moment and the pain that I'm feeling. And I've, I've, I've experienced then a lot of value in being able to step back and try and imagine the big picture. And all that we'll know are our temporal life experiences in the here and now until the day that we're in eternity. Um, but our eternity should impact how we walk through those temporal experiences in the moment. And so as I walked through a lot, the loss of Ezra, I, it was so painful and so hard and, and hard to make sense of. And it was in stepping back and knowing that God has full perspective of my entire life and of Ezra's entire life. And he knows what he's doing and he's able to work things together that don't make sense to me, but he works things together for our good and for his glory. And so my job is not to understand the why necessarily, but it's for me to trust the God who does know and to trust that he has that perspective that I don't have and to live in light of that, Mm -hmm. trusting in the Lord and to have the hope that I know he has Um, he has us in his hands and we will be with him in eternity. And so like we have that eternal hope in Christ because of what Christ has done. We have that eternal hope and, and the, the, the comfort that that can bring for the moment today is significant. Yeah. Well, yeah. The the hope, hope is anchored in certainty. Uh, Sorry. I was just gonna say hope is, hope is anchored in the certainty of the future. And so when we say hope, we're not talking about something that like might, might not happen. That gives us something different. Using the word joy is the right word um, because joy is anchored in a certain future. Happiness is based on what happens. It's based mm. on temporary circumstances. Joy is anchored in the, the reality, the certainty that we have because of the cross in the past, because of the faith that we have in Jesus' cross and resurrection. We have certainty about our future where 
we we can't see the full picture. In the same way my daughter can't see the full picture when she's on the operating table and they're sticking uh, needles and, and things into her, that they're doing all this type of surgery that seems like it's harming her, but it's actually saving her life. That similarly, that suffering for us is like surgery on our soul, that it is God doing to and in us something that is going to lead us to that certain future that we have with him, that hope that we have. And so it doesn't, it, may, it doesn't lead to happiness now. It doesn't lead to what happens right now being light and fluffy and true, but it leads us to joy that is anchored in intimacy with him. Kank and Misty know that I talk oftentimes of that word perspective as a way of, um, you know, walking through the landmine that is is life. And so our perspective really on the reason we're here and the things that we're going through can really change everything for us and for the people around us as well. So I appreciate that very much. You've talked all through this. We've been talking about the prayers that you prayed, but let's let's camp out on prayer for a moment. And just what what did God teach you through your prayers? What did you learn through this whole process through praying? Yeah, so I definitely thought that, you know, you know, I've always believed in prayer. And so whenever we were faced with this um, challenge, it was like, okay, this, this was very motivating. It was a, uh, there were so many times that were because it was beyond our control, all I could do was to pray. Um, And so I would go to the Lord and pray that, that we would be able to keep Ezra. I mean, that was a prayer of mine in that particular circumstance. Um, And always, would end my prayer with saying, but ultimately I wanted what was best for Ezra and what um, was God's plan for, for him and for us. And so I practiced the, that daily of praying, you know, this is what I want, Lord, but ultimately like your will and your best for Ezra is what I want. Until we were in the moments that we were, the court day was happening, like on the day of the court, I remember um, out of my desperation and the fear that we might actually lose him, praying like, Lord, no, like I, what I actually just really want is just Ezra to stay with us. Like that is my desire and that's what I want. And there wasn't the additional follow on that I had been praying of, but Lord, whatever your will is. I was like, nope, I want I want my will. Like I want Ezra to stay. I don't think you're alone in that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I think we're all right there with you. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And So I recognized later the shift there was um, I had been praying in a way that I was trying to bend my will towards God's. Like I wanted, yes, this is what I want, but Lord, your will be done. Like I trust you and I want your will. Whereas in that moment of desperation, when my prayer shifted, I was wanting my will and I wanted God's will to shift towards me and me in my finite perspective when what I thought was going to be most easy for me to deal with, like that's what I wanted God to shift to doing my will. And the recognition there of how flawed that would be if I were wanting um, for me to have that kind of power. And really the, the gift that it is that we, that God is the one that is in control and that resting in, in trusting in him and his sovereignty is, is brings more peace than if we really even did have control. And so the prayer journey there is just like, yeah, it is not about me getting my desires. It's about my heart softening to what the Lord has for me and what he is doing 
And when we shift towards wanting God to just answer our will and God to answer our, our desires, that those are prayers that, um, to me, were unhelpful for me because that's not what prayer is about. It is about connecting with the Lord and bringing our hearts towards wanting the desires of God if we knew all that God knows. That's good. I think we're learning a lot this morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think <laughs> the misconception of control is one thing. Uh, and by the way, we still try to get it. I, <laughs> we, we go through life trying to regain control all the time. All day, every day. I know, <laughs> it is. It's true. It's just, uh, I, I, I think you're right. The, the quicker that you can realize you don't have it, I think that's where peace begins. Yes. Because, uh, you know, the, the way to look at anxiety is if you have to control everything, doesn't that just make you anxious right there? Yeah. Well, yeah, because you can't. You can't. And you and it's right. Right. this realization that what really is in control. I, I think that, you know, Michael, your example of your five-year-old, I can hopefully control my own behavior. What else beyond that can we control? Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know. I really don't mm-hmm. know. I'm actually glad we don't have to. That would be a lot of pressure. Yes, it <laughs> to would. Have to control it all. Yeah. Well, we just want to thank you so much for spending time with us, uh, Lauren and Michael. McAfee, beyond our control, letting go of unmet expectations, overcoming anxiety, and discover intimacy with God. This is really good. Really appreciate your time and uh, sharing your story and being vulnerable. Uh, you guys have been through a lot. and uh, Well, thank you. It's been an honor to be with you guys. Well, I, I'll just say this. People that have been through tough stuff um, are on a deeper level, I think, mm-hmm. than uh, a lot of people that kind of live surfacey through life and haven't really had to deal with things, at least myself going through some very difficult things. You can talk to people that have been through tough stuff. Sometimes when it's someone you're talking to, that's been just surfacey issues. I don't know that I can open up, you know, would they get it? Mm-hmm. Not sure, mm-hmm. but you guys right. do. So I uh, appreciate your time. Really. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to the Kinkle Fritz and Friends podcast, heard on Family Life Radio. We would appreciate it so much if you could rate, review, and subscribe wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. You can also find more exclusive content at myflr.org and FLR Mornings on both Facebook and Instagram. And if you support Family Life Radio, thank you.